Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back. News Talk 830 WCCO. Twins coming up here tonight. Um, taking on Arizona. Play-by-play at 840, 8 o'clock. Chris Atterbury kicks it off the pregame show. Uh, once in a while, technology and the outdoors come together more frequently in recent years. I've talked about often electronics and fishing. has become a big part. And I refuse to use electronics when I fish. Ron Shear is really big on it. Um, I, I, it's... To me, it, it, I can figure out where the fish are without electronics, and, and Ron struggles with that. So I'm like, okay, that's what you need to do, and that's what you need to do. <clears throat> you people know I'm kidding. Uh, but there, there are places where this becomes incredibly interesting and fascinating at minimum, um, particularly because there's such a mystery about what happens outdoors and with our wildlife and predators and, 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 and how long and shelf life and how far the animals travel and all those things. So the DNR commissioned a study and uh, they decided to put GPSs on uh, fawns, deers just born in southern Minnesota, to track their, where do they go? What do they do at night? Are, are, are they vulnerable to predators? What, what, what's the survival rate? Eric Michelle joins us from the Department of Natural Resources on the John Schuster, Caldwell Banker Hotline. Eric, did I see your last name right? It's actually Mitchell. Mitchell, it's Mitchell, but it's M-I-C-H-E-L. Correct. Yeah, yep. yeah I get that a lot. Yep, I'm sure you do. It's Mitchell. Yep. So, so this study fascinates me because you you went out and you collared, collared uh, fawns, and then you had uh, you took advantage of drones so so that they could locate them off the GPS, see where they are and what they're doing. Take us through this study, because I'm sure that deer hunters are listening up right now, and they're saying, I've always tried to figure out where the deer are. What did you learn, and how did you go about this? Sure. So we're currently, we just wrapped up our fawn captures uh, in our second year of the study. Uh, We're planning on doing this for three years. And we're using a drone to actually locate the the fawns. So we've commissioned uh, uh, a pilot to fly their drone for us. And the drone is outfitted with a thermal imaging camera and a regular color camera. And we're flying this drone on our uh, public wildlife management areas. And we're flying them on predetermined transects. And when we we basically we watch the camera footage as the the drone is flying. And when we see the the picture of the fawn, it's just a perfect bright little circle spot uh, that we see that come across the camera. And then we switch over to the, the color camera to verify that that is indeed a fawn. And we get the GPS coordinates from the, the drone and go out and actually locate the fawn and, and collar it. So you collar it. Now you've got your GPS. Now you know where it is. Now you know you can track it. What are you learning? So we're looking at a couple couple main things would be survival and, and actually just movement resource use. So we have some survival data from last year. We're still in the process of downloading our location data. We get 
six locations per day from the GPS units. And we can download more locations once we actually get those units back. But we, we kind of have a day-to-day knowing of, of what's going on with those fawns. And, and, and what what is their range? Where do they go? What what, what does a fawn do? And in, in, in at what juncture? I mean, the first six weeks versus the next six weeks. What what, what have you seen? So we haven't had a chance to actually analyze those data, but those, those are the exact questions that we're we're asking. We're really interested in in how fawns are are using using their landscape. Uh, fawns are pretty attached to their mothers for the first little uh, bit of life, and. We know that they move away from their mothers. We just don't know necessarily what that looks like, how, how these different movements occur across the landscape and how long they might be gone, uh, how, you know, how quickly they come back. We know they disperse about, starting at about a year, so we're starting to pick up on some dispersal events from fawns that we had collared last year, but uh, there's a lot of questions that we have about that first year of life. So when they disperse, you said after the first, I mean, what do they do? Do they, do they range miles away, uh, hundreds of yards away? How, how far away do they go? So typically, male fawns will go about five to ten miles away from their birth range. But we had a fawn that started out south of um, south of Mankato here and ended up the last location we had on it was up around Shakopee, so something like mm. 50-some miles. So, I mean, that's an exceptional dispersal, but that's kind of what we're starting to see in some of these types of studies. So, so let's just say they go from Mankato to near Shakopee. Uh, you're able to track it. How do they go there? Are, are they are they walking roadside? Or are they walking through woods and fields the whole way? What do they do? So there's a lot of uh, big agricultural fields they have to cross to get up to Shakopee yeah. from, from down this way. But, you know, they, they'll tr- tend to fin- find uh, uh, any type of travel corridor, so a river bottom or any type of fence line, anything that will give them some type of, some type of cover. Do you get any idea what they're looking for as to where they settle in? Is it, is it all about the, the right cornfield or the right woods? Do you get any idea as, as to what they're seeking or if they know what they're seeking? So that's a, re- that's a really good question. Uh, you know, we don't really have a good idea. That's one of the questions that we have is why do they end up where they end up? There's a lot of good areas for them. To- Hope you're there. The oh, go go yep. that type- Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Yeah, now. Yep. It, it, it's a, it's, it's a really good question. We There's a lot of good areas for fawns right around this area, so we don't really know why they're going that far, but it's a good question that we have, and we're hoping to get some answers to. Now, did you have any in that first year where you go, this hasn't moved for a while, and you find out, found out that it's dead? Yeah. So we had about 25 total mortalities last year, uh, and most of the time it, it is due to predation and coyotes being that, that main predator. Okay, so that, that was my next question. So, so if it dies, I mean, there's a chance it could be sick, obviously. Uh, but the predator impact is something that I think we're really fascinated by. And is it coyotes? Is it, uh, in northern Minnesota, be, you know, wolves that you think about? Uh, it, it, can a red fox do anything? Is, is it almost always coyotes in packs? Yeah, down here in southern Minnesota, it's almost always coyotes. And, and it's, uh, so the last time any type of research like this was done in southern Minnesota was almost 20 years ago. So we've had a, a pretty big change in, in uh, the coyote population, an increase in, in predators, uh, changes in the landscape. So we, we're seeing more coyote predation than they saw in that last study, but that's, that's also to be expected. I mean, coyotes are predators and, and fawns are their prey, so we're, we're expecting to see that, um, that mortality. Eric Mitchell is our guest from the Department of Natural Resources. They're collaring and GPSing fawns uh, in southern Minnesota specifically to find their movements. Uh, susceptibility to predation, and, and much more. Do coyotes in general attack fawns, and what else? What other animals are at great risk from a coyote? 
coyotes are a generalist, so they'll they'll eat fawns, they'll eat small mammals, uh, they'll eat whatever's really available to them. So, so in, in, I mean, will they attack raccoons? Will they attack skunks? Will they attack uh, obviously birds and and, and uh, particularly baby birds? You worry about as well, ducks and pheasants and things like that, right? Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about raccoons or skunks, but certainly the, they can uh, predate on some nests as well. Now, do you, when when you get done with this study, what do you hope it? Obviously, I find it fascinating. Obviously, I think most outdoors people do. Obviously, I think that uh, uh, hunters would you know find this because you're always wondering what you're up against when you're out there, uh, and if you see a big buck, uh, a young one, uh, you know, uh, in, in the, like you said, St. Peter area, uh, is it going to stick around there? Or how far is it going to be in Belle Plaine in the next two days? I don't. I don't think any of us know. We've always kind of been fascinated by that mystery. But but when it's done, uh, what what is the most important uh, information and data you can gather? So it's it's all going to be really really important. I think some of the things I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, is going to be looking at the location data and the movement data and just seeing where these animals are going and how they're, how they're getting there. You know, how are they moving across the landscape? Where do they end up? Uh, how long does it take them to get there? Uh, those are some of the more interesting questions that I'm, I'm looking forward to answering. Did, did you have any that were hit by a car? We had two last year that were, that were hit by a car, but uh, none so far this year. Wow. Well, interesting stuff. Keep us up there. Do you have, like, videos of it then? Or, uh, what do you have in terms of technology that you see when the drone goes over? Or is it, is it just kind of that, that infrared-type uh, uh, imaging? No, we, there, so it's, uh, it's all recorded video. And we have the one, the one camera is the thermal infrared, and the other one's uh, the color camera. So we're getting constant video feed when we're flying those drones. So you mean the color camera is like uh, what we'd see in a, in, in a real video? You can get that close to them. You can get it, track it that close with a drone and actually show video of them. Yep. So uh, we just uh, we zoom in with the camera from the drone, but we we fly the drone at a predetermined height, and then just zoom in uh, once we need to, to verify with the color camera. You know, once we get that that thermal signature from the thermal infrared, we'll zoom in with the the color camera to verify that it's a fawn. Last question: what, what in general, what do they feed on? And obviously, it changes as the agricultural landscape changes each and every year with the seasons. But but what are they looking for in general? What do they feed on in general that you can tell? Yeah, so that's another really good question. We're hoping to get a little bit more information on uh, in, in the farmland region. But generally speaking, you know, deer are gonna they're gonna fo- or browse on on forbs and woody woody vegetation. Then obviously. Once the crops mature and become more available, they're gonna they're gonna switch their diet to that. So it'll be you know some ver- seasonal variability there as well. All right, Eric, appreciate it very much. Keep us updated as this study goes along. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me on tonight. You bet. That's Eric Mitchell from the Department of Natural Resources. Um, haven't we always kind of wondered about that? You know, we do with people now. Now you can get this 360 on your phone, and and it's kind of a must-have if you have teenagers. Um, It's not that I don't trust them. It's just that you need a 360 to make sure I can trust them. Not that I don't trust them. Uh, But with technology now, boy, you can do some things that we never thought possible. You know, it's it's like when uh, a woodpecker comes back to the same house and the same tree and and there it is in your house again. It looks sure looks like the same one. Where did it migrate to and how did it come back to your house? How did it do that? How did it track that? I don't know. 
But at some point in time, I bet we'll be sophisticated enough that we do that with all kinds of, and and, and I don't think it's too much interference uh, from a big brother standpoint. I, I think it's fascinating more than anything else to see how these animals and these birds survive out there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 